Hi, this is John Binder. You're listening to TV Confidential. Well, let's hear it for him. Come on, come on out here. Ed Robertson, welcoming you to this week's edition of TV Confidential Radio Talk Show about television that will play part two of a conversation we began last week with Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer, the voice of Mr. Burns, Ned Flanders, Smithers, and many other characters on The Simpsons and the actor known around the world as bass player Derek Smalls in This Is Spinal Tap. We'll talk some more about the origins of Spinal Tap with Harry as well as whether there might be any events coming up with the 40th anniversary of Spinal Tap not too far off in the future. We'll also talk to Harry about how he comes to create the many voices he does for The Simpsons, as well as his radio show, Lay Show, and about how long it takes Harry to develop a voice before he's ready to perform it. Harry Shearer will join us in our second hour. Be able to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we will open up this week's show by playing part four of our conversation with Emmy Award-winning television pioneer Ron Bacon. Ron spent 35 years in network television working behind the scenes in many, many capacities from stage manager to assistant director to director, writer, and producer on more than 12,500 network TV broadcasts covering just about every conceivable form of television you can think of. Both scripted shows, such as the Frank Sinatra Show, the Lawrence Welk Show, and Shindig, as well as many kinds of unscripted programming, including news events, sporting events, such as Wide World of Sports and the 1984 Summer Olympics, as well as special events, such as the Academy Awards broadcast. A little later on in this segment, Ron will talk about his long association with Dick Clark Productions. He'll also talk about how he got to know and became lifelong friends with people such as Liberace. But first, we're going to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago with Rod. He was giving us an idea of his various responsibilities on a typical Academy Awards broadcast. As we pick up the conversation, Ron's going to give us an idea of the tremendous amount of preparation that goes on behind the scenes weeks and months in advance of the Academy Awards broadcast and how that preparation comes into play when something unexpected happens. I mean, it's a difficult show. I mean, so it's just an awful lot of stuff, and it's hard to keep a show interesting for three hours or more. It's a, it's a huge job. When you're working on it, people who are most in charge, the producer, of course, and the guy who's going to direct it, are. It's a, that's a year's work. That's all they do is they work on that one show. I mean, it, it takes that long to, to put it together. And even with all the stuff that you have, you have teams of writers, you have all these things that have to be done, and then you... You have to be able to schedule all of these actors and, and get them there. And I mean, it's it's a huge undertaking. As a stage manager, when I first worked the show, I had 250 assistant directors from film helping me do the show. Yeah. 250 assistant directors plus me plus my crew of five. I mean, it was it, it was a huge, huge undertaking. Yeah, there's a lot of traffic you got to direct. In that two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour telecast, however long that yeah, first one was. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's just a lot of people hanging out on stage. And to make sure that everybody is in the right costume and in the right place and with the right words and all that stuff. I mean, it's, and there are changes that are made right up to the last minute. So there's always, no matter how you do it, they keep improving and improving and improving. And let's say you have a script, and I might have, I don't know, 60 or 100 pages in it. And... All of a sudden, uh, 25 minutes before the, you go on the air, you get a whole package of pages that are all new rewritten pages. 
that the writers have sent out. You know, and they're all they're all in different parts of your book. <laughs> you got to replace everything with the new pages, otherwise you're, it's not going to work. Yeah, you and you have to think fast, and you have to be ready to go. So you really have to do your homework. Yeah. Um, in order to do a live show like that. And if I remember correctly, something happened at the last minute of that very first Oscar cast that you were the stage manager for, Ron. It was a freak accident. Uh, that that, was it was with Bob Hope. <laughs> it was with Bob Hope, and uh, Bob Hope was the host, and Bob Hope made, made uh, asked you to do a favor. You did the favor, but in the but in the process of doing the favor, your own your own script uh, that that had all your cues and markings on it, it went by the wayside like moments before showtime. Correct? Yeah, we were working. I think at the Santa Monica Civic, which has a uh, a uh, an orchestra pit that rises like an elevator. Mm-hmm. It's way way deep, and then it rises up as the orchestra plays, and. Uh, so we were very close to the beginning of the show, and, and suddenly Bob said, Ron, would you mind taking my script over and putting it on the podium, which was on the other side of the stage? And I said, sure, Bob, and I ran across the stage, and I'm, I'm running in front of the audience, in front of the curtain, because the podium was in front of the curtain. Before I left, I, I had my own script, and I put it on the side of the stage, and uh, I just laid it down, and then I ran over and put his script on the podium, and then came back to get my script but the orchestra was playing the Star Spangled Banner, and as the elevator came up, the suction caused by the elevator rising sucked my script in between the elevator. Yes, your 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 hundred fifty cues that I had. Yeah, your script literally slipped through the cracks. It was it went through the cracks. <laughs> there was no way to get it back, you yeah. know. And I was without script. And I was to do a show with two hundred fifty, and I had this. Huge crew working for me, all of them needing my command to do anything, to change a set, to, to bring in a flat, to, 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 to do anything, you know. And, uh, and but here, but here, I, I ran around trying to get somebody to give me their script. Nobody would part with their script. But here's the amazing thing, and here's the takeaway. Because you had done your homework, and you had made all those cues, and you knew exactly who had to be where, what, at what point of the production. You basically, without realizing it, had committed it to memory, and you were able to produce the show. <laughs> it worked. It worked. I got it done. You know, I was, I mean, I was so relieved at the end of the night because <laughs> I hadn't left anything out that I was supposed to do. But I was scared. It was, it was really a challenge. <laughs> but, I, but, but, but then again, that, at that point, okay, it, it was your first Oscar cast. But it, it was not your first rodeo in terms of being a stage manager on a live production. You know, I almost got fired off that show. Did I tell you that story? No. <laughs> well, I, we got on the stage there. This was a couple of days. Prior. Okay, okay, so okay, this was before the incident with the script and the orchestra pit. This is during the rehearsal right. stage. Okay. Well, it's, it's we're just there. I'm on an empty stage. I'm a stage manager. I'm, I'm doing my things. And this man comes walking up to me, and he says, "My name is Robert Metzger. I'm the, I'm the manager for the, uh, uh, the Academy. Um, what is that thing doing out there?" And he pointed to the crane camera, which was our main camera, which is in the center of the stage. 
And I said, well, that's our main camera, sir. That We're taking all of our main shots with that camera. And he said, well, get that off of here and out of here. <laughs> I said, what? We, we can't do that. And I said, well, you have to talk to the director. He's not going to give up on that camera. And, and he said, I command you to, to take that <laughs> thing out of here. And I said, wait a minute, you don't command me to do anything. I command you to get off my stage and hurt yourself. <laughs> so he stopped off in a fury, and I didn't think anything more about it. Well, a little while later, I get a message that the woman who's a, the main person from the academy is extremely distressed that I have insulted the academy and blah, blah, blah. And so the program director, Sandy Cummings, says, he's, he's out in the audience, he says, Ron, he says, come over here. And I come, he says, uh, look, uh, you can't talk to those people that way. He says, you're fired. I said, I'm fired? He said, yeah, go home. And I said, well, do you really think you can do that? He said, yeah, do that. Go home. So, oh, okay. So I, I start sauntering out of the theater. And I'm waddling down the sidewalk. And all of a sudden, Sandy Cummings come running after me. Wait, 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 run, run. He says, no, you, you, you're back, you're hard back. Dick Dillamath, the, the producer director, said he's going to quit too if you aren't on stage. <laughs> so I got, my life was saved. Well, it's, <laughs> That's how we began. Yeah, it's, but it, but it, Robert Metzger and I really <laughs> didn't, it was not a, it was not a happy. <laughs> it was not a happy relationship between the two of you, but it's, it's an example of, a lot of times people higher up the chain don't realize what actually goes on on the floor, on the stage floor of he the production. He had no idea. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes, he was a business manager and all that good stuff. And I'm sure that he had good intentions some way that he thought that this was something they didn't need. But he did not have the credentials or the, the, the reason to get rid of the camera. I mean, he just... If he'd picked any camera on the stage, it would have been wrong because they all had to be needed. You know, everything was that we had was there. <laughs> I don't know whether he was just trying to exercise his power or whatever it was. It was a strange thing. But the, the strangest part was just saying, I command you. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, right. I mean, I... It was really strange. <laughs> it just got my, I normally don't, I don't get angry. When I did it. <laughs> Look, I think anybody would have reacted the way you did, because that that is, you know... Uh, so arrogant. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. I command you. Yes. What? what? Who are yes. you? Yes. I don't I mean, know you know who you are. Yes. I've never met you. Yes. It's it like... I mean, you do I mean, the, the only people I know who say stuff like that are characters from the Arabian Nights, but... Um, <laughs> Ron Bacon is on the line with us. Ron Bacon, television pioneer, Emmy Award-winning associate director, director, stage manager, producer, veteran of all kinds of television programming over the course of his 35-year career in network TV production, mostly with ABC. Ron is sharing some stories of some of the uh, uh, legendary events that uh, he was a part of, that he helped put together from the ground floor up. You can learn more about Ron and his background and his career and his many, many Credits in movies and television at ronbacon.net, ronbacon.net. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. We've been talking about some of the uh, stars that uh, you worked with and in many cases became friends with. One of those stars was Liberace. Yes, uh, 
that was one of the first shows I worked when I came to ABC. And of course, Liberace was a very famous uh, piano player who had a great audience. It was uh, a wonderful show for ABC to have. And uh, Lee was a very nice guy. He was really, really good to his crew. And, and uh, he, my wife and, and Liberace would trade recipes <laughs> for things. And uh, one time, Lee came over to our house at Christmas time and uh, spent some time talking to us and seeing my kids and he I lived in a Hollywood apartment with a was a rather unusual building it was built back in the 20s or something with a lot of very interesting architecture and Lee was so impressed my with my apartment that he went out and bought one for himself oh wow (laughs) (laughs) but he was like that he made friends with one of the guys in the crew and the next time I think I saw the guy my friend in the crew was was a cameraman so all of a sudden he's driving around in a $50,000 sports car that Lee gave him. And I was like, if you just knew the guy, he, he was generous with his, who he was. And uh, if he liked you, you know. Yeah, and whether he was doing his own show, whether he guest starred on, on other shows, or whether he was performing live, he had that innate ability to connect with audiences on an individual level while also being the outlandish showman that he was. And so he was great with spectacle, but he was also great with making a human connection with his audience. Well, he, he really, I, I have to just say, I, you know, I mean, at Christmas time, he bought gifts for the crew, everybody in the crew. I was in a crew, he bought a gift for me, but he also bought a charm bracelet for my wife with some beautiful charms on it. He picked that all by himself. I mean, what? that's just being very, very kind to everybody around you. I mean, my goodness, that was just, I thought, over-the-top wonderful. And, of course, over time, uh, Lee became kind of controversial because of his sexuality, but that I don't think should interfere with the fact that he was an incredible performer and a great person, really. No, it doesn't change the fact that he was a great great human being. He was a great human being, and and there was so much adversity to survive in a world that was quite prejudiced against gay people at that time. You know, it was, uh, that was just a very unfriendly environment and yet he, he he had to manage now one of the things they did which kind of propped him up was they had diana doris who was a marilyn monroe lookalike mm-hmm. his so-called girlfriend yeah, and, his, and his he, beard yeah she, so <laughs> she would come over and she would be there and she's his, his fiance is visiting him and blah 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 you know but of course that was overcome the negative publicity. Yeah, well, again, he was not part of the studio system per se, but he came into being at the tail end of that era where publicists wielded a lot of power and they would create quote-unquote origin stories for people, and that would be what was fed to the media and to the movie magazines. It was an issue with a a lot of actors later because they were not known for who they really were, yeah. for who the publicists said they were. And I remember Marlon Brando resented terribly the fact that people kept 
thinking of him as the character he played in on Broadway. Uh, Stella, Stella. Oh, oh, oh! A uh, 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 streetcar named Desire. Streetcar named Desire. You know. <laughs> and, but 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 a, a lot of people thought he was that guy. Yeah. You know. And of course, that was just a role he played. He played it so very well that everybody believed him. I thought, well, that's who he is. <laughs> and uh, he was constantly bothered by by women trying to get into his house, or you know, <laughs> being, I mean, they would, would they went to great lengths to do that. And uh, he, I don't think he refused them all, but <laughs> 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 but he certainly was uh, was under attack all the time by women. It was yeah. it was astonishing we mentioned earlier that because you worked for ABC a lot of your assignments during your 35 years with the network a lot of your assignments resulted from happenstance whatever was in production at the time uh, on this particular day and whenever they right. needed... I had no no control over my assignment but I do have one interesting thing you know, there were different people scheduling they kept changing who would do the scheduling but I was scheduled by one of the astronauts' wives. I'm telling you, uh, Buzz Aldrin's wife. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I, don't, I think they had gotten divorced, but she she worked at ABC, and her job was scheduling people like me. <laughs> Isn't that strange? <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it was kind of wonderful, strange. She was a, Joan Aldrin was a just a delightful lady. I enjoyed her very much. And... Uh, I don't remember exactly where, where her life went after that, but she certainly, that was a, a wonderful welcome thing to know her. I did meet Buzz once, but never, this would be prior to uh, Joan working at ABC. Well, for the most part, much of what you did would fall under the category of variety television. You did a lot of uh, sporting events. We mentioned earlier, you did a lot of documentaries for Dick. Clark production so but the, the thread that connects all of these is they're all unscripted television productions however you did work on a few scripted productions one of which was the second pilot for All in the Family which was produced by ABC in 1968 Ron has a story about that which he'll share with us on the other side of the break we're talking to Emmy Award winning television pioneer Ron Bacon about his 35 year career in network TV production. We'll take a quick time out. Talk some more with Ron Bacon when we come back on TV Confidential. One more item if you love Ella Fitzgerald, our friend Jeffrey Mark celebrates the music of the First Lady of Song every week on Jeffrey Mark Plays Ella. You can hear Jeffrey Mark Plays Ella on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts quick program note when we had ron bacon on a few weeks back we erroneously said that vanessa redgrave won her oscar in 1977 for her performance in the turning point redgrave actually won the oscar that year for her performance in julia several listeners pointed that out to us we thank you for taking the time to do so and as always for listening to our program we'll be back with more tv confidential right after this. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash 
TV Confidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.